This episode of Talking with TK is brought to you by Populous. Check out their Master the Art of Sales course at www.populous.com.au. Guys, welcome back to episode 69 of Talking with TK. I'm your host, Tristan Cannell. Special double episode for this week. Couldn't refuse this one. It's none other than legend of motorsport himself, Craig Lowndes. Obviously, Lowndes is an absolute legend of the sport. Will go down, no doubt, as one of the greatest of all time. Let's have a look at his record. Six-time winner of Bathurst 1000. He's a three-times V8 Supercar Championship winner five-time Barry Sheen medalist. From 2005 through to 2016, he finished the championship in the top four. So that is an astonishing record. Even at 43 years old last year, finished 10th. So he's just signed a new two-year contract. So I can't wait to see what Lounsey's got in store for us this year. If it's your first time here, thank you for tuning in. I really appreciate you checking out the show. For everyone else, thank you for the continued support. Really, really appreciate it. If you haven't yet, please subscribe to the show via iTunes, Stitcher, Overcast, or you'll find everything online at www.talkingwithtk.com. If you want to connect with me, find me on Twitter or Facebook. I'm at TalkingWithTK, or my Instagram channel is Tristan Nell. All right, guys, let's get straight to it, and he will be joining us direct, actually, from the track in Adelaide. This was recorded on Wednesday the 28th in the afternoon, so I was very lucky that Craig gave me a buzz, and here is the entire chat. A new two-year deal, so going into a season where you've kind of got your future settled. Is it a lot easier than knowing that it is a contract year? Yeah, yeah, thank you. It's, um, it's really is, uh, nice to obviously have that two more years and, uh, and a brand new uh, race team name and uh, obviously new colours for the year, which is great for us. And uh, you know, looking forward to the start of the season to try and capitalise on uh, you know, what this new ZB Commodore feels like, which is... Uh, it does feel like a, a, you know, a much nicer part of drive. Yeah, what, what's been the, the biggest change that you've kind of made team-wise and even car-wise that you do enter the season with? You still had a pretty good season last year. I know by your own lofty standards, 10th might not be that great for you, but from the outside looking in, 10th still pretty good. So what's the, the major changes? Yeah, well, we've got a brand-new um, body shell on top of the car this year, and, and also we've got three brand-new race cars to start the season off, so... All three of us are quite excited. Uh, Holden, uh, you know, revealing the new Commodore, which uh, is great for us to debut here on the streets of Adelaide. It really is uh, something that it does handle differently to what our previous car was, which it's hard to sort of give you a reason why. Mechanically, everything under the car is the same, but aerodynamically, the body shape is completely different, which gives it a different characteristic feel when we do drive it. But uh, our test that we had at Sydney uh, Motorsport Park a couple of weeks ago really highlighted that. It, it, it will take us a little while to, to unlock the, 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 the full potential of this car. It, it's definitely got huge potential to be able to be faster than where we've got it, but uh, that's something that uh, we'll, we'll work out over the course of this, this weekend and, and the next couple of meetings. But 
to have Auto Barn uh, step up this year and next year, I think, yeah, for me, sort of shows that uh, they are still very committed uh, to the to the category and uh, and looking forward to uh, representing them. Yeah, definitely. Now, now, Craig, when when you plan for a season ahead, you know, you have a couple of months off. In terms of the off season for a V8 supercar driver, what are the things that you generally get up to? Uh, well, over Christmas, uh, we sort of had about three, maybe three weeks off. It was a quick turnaround again this year because of obviously the new car builds and uh, uh, you know getting sorted. Uh, all you know, everyone was on deck uh, quite early. Um, sort of, I think by the fourth of uh, January, everyone was back at work. So uh, this year has been a, a short turnaround. But uh, you know, you, what you're trying to do is get away and. Uh, you know, recharge the batteries, get get sorted. Uh, we spend all year, obviously, in airports and flying around. So for us to be able to just shut down, I think, is, is uh, you know great for us to, to to do that or to be able to recharge those batteries. So now that we've hit the streets of Adelaide, it's uh, it's basically game on. Yeah, you know, as you get a little bit older, I know myself, I'm 35 now. I've kind of decreased a little bit training. Kind of was more of a quality over quantity thing. Have you done something similar in your approach? Um, I think that uh, really for me, you can't afford to be complacent about the fitness side of it. It's such a huge part of uh, the industry and, and driving race cars. You know, the, the temperature is one of the elements that the drivers do struggle with because of uh, you know the cars do generate a lot of heat. They're about twenty five degrees hotter than ambient. So mm. uh, for us, you know, living in Queensland, it's, it's a great way to be able to keep that side of it. But uh, you know, yeah, definitely the cardio side of it is very important. Uh, you know, the drivers are getting a lot younger these days, definitely not getting older. Yeah. Craig, take me a little bit back to the start and, you know, where you grew up because uh, just be reading a little bit of research on you, you know, you grew up and I know that, you know, Peter Brock was one of your, your absolute idols, you know, you played in the same footy team as him, you went to the same school as him, but can you just give us a, a few insights into where you grew up and exactly how you found motorsport? Uh, well, I found motorsport through my father, who was part of the whole dealer team back in the late 60s, early 70s. So that was, for me, was, was what got me interested. But, uh, you know, I grew up playing AFL football and cricket in summer and go-karting uh, on any other given day. And uh, uh, for me, I, I think I chose the right sport for longevity. <laughs> so uh, it really uh, is for me. You know, I grew up in uh, the northern part of uh, Melbourne. And, uh, and, and, you know, Funnily enough, you know, I, you know, I wasn't too far away from where Jamie grew up, the next suburb, and, and of course the uh, the other one was uh, Peter Brock, who was a huge mentor for me growing up. So, uh, um, yeah, it, it really has uh, for me been a great journey to be part of the sport for for uh, well over twenty years now. Yeah, Craig, you know, you started in go karts first. At what age did you know that this could be something serious that you know you could do as a career? Uh, I think it's one of those things when you, you I did go karting seven years and once, once you sort of get out of that and you sort of go into that next phase of your racing side of it you probably still at that point you don't know whether it's going to become a career or whether you just become basically um, just a hobby and an interest but uh, you know when I got into Formula Ford uh, we were lucky enough we set a three year program um, and at the end of that three years it was either going to make or break it and uh, thankfully we won the championship the Australian championship in 93 uh, which then sort of catapulted us into that next stage and uh, and that's where we sort of uh, sort of left off, you know, when we first joined HRT in '94, and uh, and went on from there. So it, it, uh, for us as a family, it definitely wasn't uh, uh, you know a, a foregone conclusion that I'd become a race driver. It was just a passion that we had, and uh, we, we gave it our all at young age. And uh, lucky enough, uh, you know, doors opened when I needed it to. Yeah. 
Guys, just a quick break in today's episode. If you haven't yet, I think you'll be, you should go back through the back catalogue and just check out some of our old ones. If you're a motorsport head, definitely check out the ones with David Reynolds, John Bauer, Greg Murphy, and Luke Yildon. If you're into just your Aussie or Kiwi sports, plenty of legends have come on, the likes of Pat Cash, David Campisi, Paul Harrigan, Mark Hunt, Andrew Weddinghausen, Steve Monaghetti, Robbie Madison, Mark Ocalupo, Kieran Perkins, and many, many more. So please subscribe to the show via iTunes, Stitcher, Overcast, or you'll find it all online at www.talkingwithtk.com. Yeah, 1994 was, you know, as you just mentioned, usually if you have your first Bathurst, where you come second and you surprised everyone with that big pass on John Bow a few laps before <laughs> the end. How much was that well, I think you... it surprised me too. <laughs> <laughs> How much do you remember of all that? Oh, yeah, no, look, it was one of those things that I wasn't supposed to be in the car at that given time. I was uh, partnered up with Brad Jones, who was the lead driver in the car at the time, and uh, uh, Brad had to get out of the car because he'd done too, almost too many hours. Um, so I had to finish the race, which definitely wasn't planned. Uh, then there was a safety car, and we had a great battle with John Bow, and I remember at the time, uh, well, since then, I remember, you know, the back, looking back on that time that uh, John probably wasn't too concerned about who I was and what I could do. And then I was a rookie, I didn't, you didn't know that I was going to be uh, game enough to go around the outside of my turn, turn two, which, to be honest, we had a good good exit of one. We had a good ramp over the hill into turn two, and I, I still believe that he'd been on the dirty side. He broke a bit earlier. <laughs> we probably broke a little later than we'd done, you know, in those probably uh, 100 laps prior, but uh, we managed to get around the corner and lead the, lead the race for a lap and a half, which uh, put us on the map. Yeah, and, you know, you win in 1996 with Murph, but that year you didn't, in 95, you know, you don't come second or first. As a young bloke, were you really disappointed after achieving so much in 94? Yeah, I suppose it's one of those things that you go to Bathurst with, with high hopes, and I suppose if you do achieve you know, great success early on, you, you, you think it's going to continue on. But for me, you know, 95 was obviously disappointing. We had uh, two engine failures in the cars. Um, you know, we had some uh, head gasket issues at the time, uh, which the team didn't really know until we had the engines in the car. But I, me- I remember being in the car at the start of the race chasing Jimmy Richards down Conrad Strait and it was like a, a diesel truck I was going down gears to try and keep with him instead of going up gears and of course the engine seized and uh, and that, that was the end of our race so yeah it was disappointing to go from 94 having you know a, a great beginning to uh, then the, the lows of what, what Bathurst is all about and uh, you know so you, you go through two years of ups and downs and then 96 it all comes together yeah 96 you obviously won the championship as well you win Bathurst as I mentioned with Murph in terms of gaining the respect of the older fellas when did you notice that you did have a little bit more respect out there? Uh, it took a little while, to be honest. I think the first race in uh, in '96 was a short race at Eastern Creek, uh, which I remember. I think Wayne Gardner at the time he was making a comment that uh, saying that I'll never win a race, let alone a championship. So he said that. Uh, yeah, he, made, he quoted that in some one of the papers back then, and uh, you know, I remember Dick. I had an altercation with Dick at Sandown, and uh, it was a sprint race there at the time, and uh, you know, he, he blamed me for the accident, which I was just stuck in the middle between uh, him, and I'm not sure who was on my other, on my right-hand side, but uh, I was literally the piggy in the middle, and uh, yeah. it was my fault, so uh, yeah, it, it took me a little while to get a respect from the older established drivers, but, you know, even, but that's no different to today, I think that uh, we've got five new rookies 
uh, this year, and, and uh, you know they've got to uh, show you know basically what they're capable of, and uh, you know we're not going to give them a free pass, that's for sure. Yeah, you know, in terms of you know you just mentioned young fellas and fellas coming through. Even though they're, if they're on a different team, if they come up to you for advice and things like that, what's kind of your approach in that sense? Uh, yeah, look, I'm always happy to give the advice and, uh, and give everything out. Like, you know, Brock was very happy to give me uh, opportunity to sit down with him and go through stuff and, and work out how to get around corners or where I'm looking for and what I'm supposed to be doing. And um, So I'm no different. Uh, if the younger guys still beat me on, on a given day, that's, uh, you know, Yeah, Craig, all the way back then when you were still a young bloke, in terms of, you know, handling fame and then probably the expectation that came with winning, when it first hit you, how did you handle that? Oh, look, it's one of those things that, uh, uh, for me, I was probably fortunate enough to have people around me that were, you know, had good guidance and, and, and gave me good advice, to be honest. And I think it was one of those things that, uh, you know, you... Um, you see it with a lot of young people now that, uh, you know, they're, they're pretty much, um, uh, basically, uh, uh, they're, they're basically groomed with, as growing up. And I think that that's really for us is a, you know, a good thing that the, the, the team can get supportive of, of the younger drivers and help them through that phase of their career. Yeah. So it's a bit of a self accountability as well as having some major people around you that kind of can keep you accountable when you kind of do, you might get out of line or maybe you're going down the wrong path. Yeah, I think so. And I think I've, I've seen drivers that have definitely done that, and got, you know, gone on a different path and, and got out of control, and, and unfortunately their careers don't continue on. So it really is important that you've got good, strong people around you that keep you grounded, that also support you when you need it. And, uh, you know, uh, you know, as I said, teams are now much more behind the younger drivers, giving them a, a, a much better uh, opportunity becoming a, a full driver, and not only just a race driver, but, you know, getting up, being able to speak, present, yeah, just uh, turning to you know your idol Peter Brock. In terms of actually, first things first, when did what age and where did you actually meet him for the first time? Uh, I think I was about twelve or thirteen. Uh, I, I, I met him very early on, obviously, yeah, through my father. So uh, uh, yeah, and I was you know, getting lucky enough to grow. People go to the same high school, play football in the same football club, and grow up probably twenty minutes apart in, in where I was. And uh, that was really something that uh, for me was you know invaluable in the sense of you know later down the track in the sense of being able to have advice and uh, you know especially when I, I moved from uh, Holden to Ford for the first time that you know he was a good sounding board of what to encounter and what was he sort of going to expect in the sense and uh, but just more of the off track side of it not the not the on track side. Yeah, when he did pass away, how, how did you find out the news? phone didn't stop ringing. Yeah. Um, I remember being home and uh, and it was really one of those things that uh, uh, I just got back from a function, uh, the phone didn't stop ringing, there was then reports on the news at that by that stage of suspicion of, of what had gone on um, uh, and, and of course it was and soon after that that they, they realised that it was actually a fact and then uh, all of a sudden there was uh, uh, choppers landing on our property and uh, taking me back to the studio to obviously talk about his life and our connection with him so yeah look, it was very, very sad day, and, and then understanding the sequence of what went on prior to lead to that uh, was really disappointing. Yeah, you ended up winning Bathurst by memory that year too, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, it was. It was uh, 06 
um, it was about four, three or four weeks after his passing that we obviously went to Bathurst for uh, then at that point uh, in memory of Peter and uh, you know we were a forward team at that stage and uh, you know it, it uh, for us uh, was fantastic you know for Jamie and I to, to win it have our names on the trophy for the first time and uh, you know even though we were a forward forward uh, race team at the time we were very well received and uh, and accepted. Yeah, was it given the emotions of everything that happened? Was it really difficult to actually get on track that day? Uh, it wasn't. It wasn't too bad in the, in the early stages of the week. Obviously, focusing on the car, focusing on what we needed, just to, you know, not thinking about other things. And then, of course, really didn't hit home until the, the, the Sunday morning when we had the parade lap, and I drove the Tirana around the seventy-two Tirana. Yeah. Then you sort of uh, start to hit home about obviously, uh, you know, why we were there and what we were there for, and. Uh, for me, it was uh, an emotional beginning and uh, an emotional end, so it was probably the most uh, emotional race that I've ever done. Guys, just another quick break in today's episode. Last week, we had on the show, or last couple of weeks, we've had our NRL and rugby feel moving into the season. So we've had the likes of Tim Grant, Monty Beethan, Dean Mum, and Saar Fainga. So please go back and check out, especially if you're into your league, plenty more coming up as well. We've got some really, really exciting episodes ahead. So please subscribe via iTunes, Stitcher, Overcast, or you can find it all online at www talkingwithtk.com Yeah, Craig, tell me a little bit about your annual week on the ritual up to, to Bathurst. I read that in, in a hard corner. It seemed pretty cool. Uh, well, we drive to Bathurst now, yeah. and uh, we, 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 uh, you know, we've got a caravan that we use and, and, drive, and obviously uh, drive it down, and we stop along the east coast of Australia, and we try and sort of jump every sort of town, and, and hopefully uh, in the next two or three years we'll, we'll, we'll look, uh, visit every township down the east coast, but it uh, really is um, a great way to sort of unwind and, and clear your mind before you get into the week of Bathurst, because it becomes a very hectic week. As soon as you arrive, it, it's game on, uh, running around doing you know, parades and functions and signing sessions and everything else. It doesn't stop until uh, you know the 5 o'clock on Sunday after that checker flag drops. So it's... Uh, for us, it's just a nice way to, uh, again, to recharge batteries and, and get focused. We, you know, we take the push bike and we do training on the way down, and uh, which is great for me. And, um, you know, just as I said, we, we hit, hit uh, the, the Bathurst town uh, fresh and ready to go. Yeah, Craig, in your own perspective, what is it about Bathurst that you love so much? Oh, I think it's, it's just the, uh, I think the magnitude of the place. You know, it's the longest race track we have in Australia. It's the most elevation circuit that we, we race on. Uh, it's got the most history of anything that we have, and, uh, and of course, you know, I grew up watching it, wanting to be there one day, and uh, now thankfully, um, we've had multiple years and, and multiple victories. It's, uh, you know, it, it, it's a track that you never get finished at or sick of, or, or you want to, uh, you know, finish driving, you want to continue to drive there as long as you can. Yeah, fantastic. I just wanted to talk to you a little bit about adversity and maybe like for you going overseas and maybe not accomplishing everything that you wanted over there in terms of trying to come back and then reassessing your goals do you have any advice for us in terms of when adversity does hit and how we can continue to to move forward on a path Uh, i think you've got to stay strong in what you believe i think you know for me you know hindsight's a wonderful thing i think that uh, i position myself in the wrong country at the wrong time um, you know, I probably should have been in the UK where it was an English speaking base, um, where I struggled to live, not only just race. So, uh, there was a few things that I could have done differently when, and again, probably a little bit naive because of 
of not fully understanding that that scene. Um, and really, for me, we had people around at the time that, like, hopefully now I could with someone else tell you, uh, you know, if you had the opportunity A or B, which one would you go for, which we had an opportunity with A, which was um, to go to a, a, an English-based um, team, and we didn't choose that. And, uh, you know, for me, that was a bit of a naivety of uh, not knowing enough. But, uh, you know, regardless, we still bounce back. We still come back to Australia. We won the championship the year 98 when we bounced back from a bad year in 97. So, mm. for me, it's one of those things that, uh, you know, if you, you know, find yourself that uh, you, know, you can't continue on a path that you'd like to be on, well, you look look for uh, an alternative path, but in the same vein that, you know, people still driving a vehicle, uh, people still doing something I love, and... Uh, and the best thing was getting paid for it. Yeah, absolutely. What about when you first joined Ford? You know, it took a couple of seasons for you to reach back to that high potential that you always were showing, and then you had some magnificent results. And we look forward now, and you've you finished in the top, apart from last year, you finished in the top five, something like 12 years in a row. In terms of turning around those first couple of years, and then obviously getting to that stage that you were when you such a huge consistency across the board, what do you, what do you put that down to? I think it's just you know, you know we we've had our, our lean years, no doubt about that. But uh, you know, when when you come across a team that you fit in really well with, with Triple Eight, for me, it's no no secret or no surprise that I've stayed here. And and really, for me, I'd love to finish my career here. It, it really is a team that uh, has led from the top with Roland. You know, he, he can be a hard ass at times, but yeah. you know, he can have a harder goal too. <laughs> you just got to get rid of, rid of that steel cage around it. So. Um, uh, he's a very fair person, and uh, you know, but he's got the, the passion for the for the sport, and uh, that's what you want from a leader, someone that, that has the passion. And, and yeah, look, he might throw the dummy spit every now and then, but it's only because he thinks so highly of everyone in the team and, and loves the sport so much, and, he, and wants everyone to to lift to their their potentials. And, and our race, race drivers are no different. I've, I've had my fair share of uh, meetings in the boardroom with him one on one, and. Uh, um, and I think it just drives you to be a better person or a better driver and, and whatever position you're in to become uh, better and, and, and your skill sets to be better than what you were. So for me, it's, um, you know, as I said, it's been great to be part of a team like that and grow with a team like that. Mm. My biggest thing when I first joined the team in 95 was to be part of a team that had great potential, which it did. It had, had success at the time and, uh, you know, to grow with it as it grew. Uh, in the sport, and uh, for me, I look back on you know, being, being very proud to be part of Triple Eight in, in its beginning. Um, you know, I, I saw a big change in the team at Eastern Creek when we first finally won our first race, and it, you know, went from a wanting to believe we could win races to knowing we could win races, and yeah. it completely changed the mindset of everyone at the team. So uh, that, for me, was what it was all about. Yeah, Craig, when you were racing with Jamie, what were the other boys thinking? Because you two are one of the two best drivers over the last 50 years and you teamed up in a team going to Bathurst where you're obviously one of the favourites and the results speak for themselves. What was the kind of feeling from the other drivers? Did they ever think there were a chance to even beat you two boys? Yeah, I'm not sure. I think to be honest, it's, uh, we, we believe that they made that, that rule about uh, the, age, the, the teammates can't pair up in a, in a car endurance because of the Jamie and I program. <laughs> But, but, but there's no secret either that, you know, Roland always said that, uh, you know, one of the parts of Jamie joining Triple Eight back then was in 1996 was to, to be a teammate for me. So, uh, there was no, you know, hidden secret that, you know, that wasn't the case, wasn't part of the case of why Jamie joined the team. Obviously, he's very credible as a driver. Yeah. Um, you know, but he fitted in well for me for, 
for his height, for his weight and his ability. So, yeah, we were a dream team for, for those years that we were together. And, uh, you know, obviously the categories made a decision of what they've done. And that's something that uh, now we look for those co-drivers that, are, that hopefully have that same ingredient. And uh, we, we search high and low at the start of every year if you're out, if your co-driver's out of contract, to try and find that next uh, next driver that you want to be with. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, you know, probably the next time that Jamie and I ever drive together is when I retire. <laughs> Dream Team is an understatement. All right, Craig, final question, buddy. I just want to get your, your perspective on something a little bit different. In terms of maybe leaders that you've come across your career or your life, it doesn't have to be a sport at all. Is there anyone that stands out, maybe the world scene or even within your own family, someone that you admire and that you, you take you know, a lot of your own traits in terms of the leadership traits that you try to display now? Um, oh, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a very good but difficult question. I think that uh, you know you take a lot of traits from a lot of people that you've worked with along these uh, over the years. Like you know, I, I look back on Brock and the way he was you know, very easygoing in the sense of the way he'd get out of a smouldering wreck of a car and then smile and say, "Well, you know, I gave it a red hot go," and everyone loved him for that and not not getting out sort of angry or upset and everything else. Very good at you know switching his uh, attitude from. You know, from the racetrack to, to the corporate side of it, so I've taken a lot out of that, that angle of Peter. Um, you know, you talk about leadership, like, you know, with Roland, the way he, you know, he, he runs the ship. Obviously, now Mark Dutton runs the or manages the team, but there's no doubt that Roland is not, not too far behind him and it's literally breathing over his ear. And yeah. he's one of those hands on people, like, you know, Roland will still get down into the, under the floor room and you know, sweep the floors and help out the boys when needed. It's not like he's just in. Uh, in his office upstairs and uh, commands everything to be good, but it's, you know, he's very much a hands-on person, which is it's something that it's, uh, uh, not people, not many people sort of see that side of it. And I think that you, know, you do take a lot out of that as well. You know, just because you're the boss or the CEO of a company or now, it doesn't mean you still can't get your hands dirty. And uh, for me, you take out a lot of that as well, or from that. And uh, you know, but then you know, I look into other sports. You know, uh, you know I'm, I'm a very much a big AFL. Um, supporter, and, uh, you know, Kevin Sheedy was a, um, Kevin Sheedy was one of the, you know, one of my great coaches in LCS, and it's my team that I, you know, yeah. I follow dearly, so, uh, you know, Kevin Sheedy did such a great, uh, thing for us in, in that golden era. So again, you look at that side of it as well. So you do look at other, other, other leaders in other sports, and, and even my father in a way he, uh, does business and everything else. So, yeah, you do take a lot out of everyone you deal with every day. Yeah, well, Craig, I really appreciate you giving us all the insights and I wish you all the best for the season ahead and all the best for Essendon as well, mate. Yeah, thank you very much. Looking forward to the start of this year and, uh, yeah, hopefully we can uh, turn things around. Yeah, fantastic. Well, Craig, all the best and uh, we'll chat soon. Yeah, definitely. Thank you. Guys, we really hope you enjoyed the episode with Craig Lowndes. If you haven't yet, Please follow Craig. Online you'll find him at www.craiglounds.com.au. His Facebook is Craig Lounds Official. Twitter, Craig Lounds 888. Or Instagram, Craig Lounds 888 as well. So give him a follow. He's, I reckon he's going to be in for a cracking year. And I can't wait to see what he has in store for all of us, especially in Adelaide this weekend. All right, guys, I really appreciate you all joining me. If you haven't yet, please subscribe to the show. You've got a few options, iTunes, Stitcher, Overcast, or you can find it all online at www.talkingwithtk.com. If you enjoyed the episode, please share it with your family and friends. It just really helps me just grow and get be, be found by more people. If you want to connect with me, 
If you want to send me a direct message, send me one at Tristan at TalkingWithTK.com. That's my email. Connect with me on Twitter, TalkingWithTK, Facebook, TalkingWithTK, or my Instagram channel is Tristan Nell. All right, guys, I want to leave you today with a preview of our show coming up on Monday. It's going to be with former Sydney Swans great Wayne Swass. It was a great chat, so I'm going to leave you with that. So for, t- for this week, stay safe. I'm Tristan Cannell, and this was Talking with TK. You know, prior to you actually getting the help with the psychiatrist, with those, that dark period that you actually went through, what was it that actually got you through that period? It's a great question. Um, I had two people in my life that that never gave up when I had given up. I mean, from 1993 until 2000, uh, sorry, 1993 until 1997, I was I was very suicidal. Um, but thankfully, my wife and my doctor at my previous football club, North Melbourne, um, they were the two people that effectively kept me engaged and made sure, made sure that my life didn't go down a particular path, which would have meant that I wouldn't be doing this interview with you now. So I, had, I was lucky. I had two key people that, that never gave up when, when I thought that the only option I had was to make a permanent decision to a temporary situation. Mm. Now, prior to, because you know, I love your post, you know, so authentic when you're up on the stage getting your medal and raising the trophy in the 96 grand final, do you remember prior to that actual event, the last time that, you know, you were happy in your own self? Yeah, 1993. Yeah. Um, I was diagnosed on the 9th of August, 1993. Um, but when I look back for four or five years before then, there would be days or moments or weeks where I'd be overcome with this overwhelming sense of sadness. But again, as a, as a young man, I didn't have the emotional intelligence to understand that that was actually a problem. I just thought that that was normal life, that this is how you normally felt. You'd have good days and you'd have sad days. But I didn't have the intelligence or the skills to recognise that it was a much bigger problem that was just starting to invade my life. Um, and that's not to be critical of, of who I was and what I was back then, but I just didn't have the ability to recognise it. But equally, uh, I was happy. I was I'd been engaged to my wife, Rachel, for six months. She'd moved down from Melbourne, um, and I was happy. I was really happy with where I was at. I was confident as a sports person, but on the 26th of July, 1993, two weeks before I was diagnosed, my my life changed, and on that particular night, I was driving home from a a training session, and um, I was at a set of traffic lights, and I burst out crying, and I I had no idea why. Um, I was very confused and, and quite scared. And this happened for two weeks until I was diagnosed with clinical depression. And that was the beginning of a a long journey with mental health conditions.